Welcome to The Re-Education. I'm Eli Lake, and our topic today is the FBI. Our guest is Federalist Editor-in-Chief Molly Hemingway. Restoring confidence in the FBI is a particularly good title for this <clears throat> hearing because confidence is what truly goes to the heart of the issue that we're here to discuss today. Uh, my father taught me the FBI could do no wrong. Uh, but I think confidence in the FBI, particularly the presumption of integrity, has been shaken. Uh, there's no question that for too long the FBI has broken faith with the American people. The time for meaningful and lasting reform is now. And it's up to us to help the FBI regain trust and confidence of the American people. That was Senator Charles Grassley at a hearing on restoring the public's trust in the FBI. It sounds like something he might have said just last week. But this was from July 29th, 2001. At the time, according to a Gallup poll, less than 40% of Americans had faith in the integrity of the Bureau. There was good reason. The FBI impugned the reputation of an innocent man, Richard Jewell, in their investigation of the bomber of the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. It botched an investigation into a deadly showdown with separatists at Ruby Ridge to shield agents from administrative censure. The Bureau's investigators abused surveillance authorities, obtaining spy warrants based on incomplete and in some cases false evidence. In the pursuit of the Italian mafia, local agents out of Boston protected one of the city's worst gangsters, Whitey Bulger, for years. After the 1990s, lawmakers from both parties believed the FBI must reform. And there was some reform. The Justice Department Inspector General was empowered further to investigate FBI misconduct before it was largely left to the Office of Professional Responsibility inside the Bureau. An FBI special agent named Michael Woods developed a new procedure that required, in theory, the Department of Justice and FBI supervisors to verify all facts stated in applications for surveillance warrants. And in Boston, a straight-arrow U.S. attorney named John Dorham prosecuted John Connolly and a Massachusetts state trooper for participating in crimes with Bulger's Winter Hill Gang for years. In 2022, Dorham is now back. He was tasked by Attorney General William Barr to investigate the probe into the Trump campaign's alleged conspiracy with Russia to interfere in the 2016 election. On Tuesday, he lost his first case against a former Hillary Clinton campaign lawyer, Michael Sussman, who he charged with one count of lying to the FBI. In Washington today, a federal jury found Hillary Clinton's former presidential campaign attorney not guilty of lying to the FBI. Michael Sussman was acquitted of accusations he wasn't honest when he gave the Bureau's general counsel a tip during the 2016 campaign about possible connections between then-candidate Donald Trump and Russia. This was the first case brought to trial so far by that special prosecutor, John Durham, since he was appointed to look into the origins of the Russia probe by then-Attorney General William Barr three years ago. We covered Sussman's case in the Russiagate episode. To recap, he requested a meeting with the FBI's general counsel, James Baker, in which he texted that he was there as a good citizen and not on behalf of a client. He shared a white paper that alleged unusual communications between servers of a Russian bank and the Trump organization. Despite promising that he was there on behalf of no client, Sussman charged his time for the meeting and the purchase of the USBs to both the Clinton campaign and another client, a tech executive named Rodney Jaffe. Sussman was able to beat those charges, 
or I should say the charge, in part because his defense was able to show that his lie to the FBI was immaterial. The Bureau already knew that Sussman was representing the Clinton campaign. He was the one who interfaced with the FBI when the campaigns and the Democratic National Committee's servers were hacked. And he was the lawyer who refused to hand over the computers to the Bureau, relying instead on the analysis of a cybersecurity firm, CrowdStrike. Sussman's acquittal has prompted a new round of umbrage and bloviation from the resistance. On Twitter this week, Joe Scarborough urged the Attorney General Merrick Garland to shut down Durham's investigation. Here he is on Morning Joe. Barr lets Durham start investigating, supposedly investigating the investigators, but there's been absolutely nothing there from the beginning. Perhaps Scarborough and others who have adopted similar poses of vindication did not follow the trial. Because what emerged was very bad for James Comey, the former FBI director, and his leadership team. Let's start with Sussman's tip and the white paper explaining it. That paper was developed by an opposition research firm paid by the Clinton campaign, Fusion GPS. Last year, when Durham brought this indictment, he included emails and texts from some of the researchers who mined that data, and they complained that their work would be dismissed out of hand by other experts. Indeed, when the data and the white paper was sent to a team of FBI investigators in Chicago, they too concluded that the research was garbage. At that point, one might expect the case to be dropped, but FBI witnesses testified in this trial that the original team was instructed to keep the investigation open and turn it into a counterintelligence probe. That message was from the seventh floor, shorthand for the Bureau's leadership team. Not only that, but Sussman's identity was kept from those FBI investigators in Chicago, even though they requested to know the name of the initial informant in order to judge the veracity and reliability of his information. Finally, the Alpha Bank investigation's opening documentation said the tip came from the Justice Department, not a lawyer representing Hillary Clinton's campaign. In this respect, Comey and his deputies were not tricked by Sussman's lie. They were, as former federal prosecutor and National Review writer Andy McCarthy has said, his willing partners. Because this was a pattern. The FBI's leadership team obtained a surveillance warrant on a Trump campaign volunteer, Carter Page, based on a different and since discredited opposition research dossier prepared once again by Fusion GPS. Despite warnings from the CIA that the dossier was unverified internet rumor, Comey fought internally to include its allegations in briefing materials for Trump and President Obama during the presidential transition. The fact was conveniently leaked to CNN only two weeks before Trump's inauguration that the dossier materials were briefed to the incoming and outgoing presidents. After investigators concluded there was no evidence that Michael Flynn, who served as Trump's national security advisor for three weeks in 2017, was an agent for the Russian Federation, Comey instructed that the case be kept open nonetheless. The FBI is supposed to be above partisan politics. But after Trump won the 2016 election, the Bureau's leadership joined the resistance. It managed to keep its probes of Trump out of the press when it looked like he was going to lose in 2016. But as soon as he won, the FBI played along with a narrative cooked up by the Democrats that alleged Trump had conspired with Russia's attack on the election. 
And while lots of Democrats today will insist that that's still basically true, remember, the initial special prosecutor on this issue, Robert Mueller, concluded there was no evidence to support such a conspiracy. Now, the FBI's problems extend beyond Russiagate. Its agents badly mishandled the investigation into Larry Nasser, the fiendish doctor who sexually molested members of the USA Olympic gymnastics team. It relied too heavily on informants who actually helped plot and encourage a harebrained scheme to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in 2020. The Justice Department's Inspector General found in 2020 that the Bureau routinely failed to practice the Woods procedure for ensuring the accuracy of its applications for surveillance warrant. And just like in 2001, today the public's trust in the FBI has plummeted. Now, it doesn't have to be this way. There is an easy solution. Just like John Connolly, who was a senior FBI agent, eventually had to go to prison for collaborating with Whitey Bulger, who gamed the surveillance court in 2016 and 2017, should face more severe consequences than just probation. The very least, their law licenses should be revoked. And the FBI leaders who participated in this plan that ultimately allowed for partisan opposition research to find its way into the stream of a very serious FBI investigation into a sitting U.S. president should at least face some kind of social censure and not be given sweet gigs at cable news stations like CNN or, for that matter, cushy jobs at universities. But so far, we are not there. We are still engaged in a serious political struggle. It's the Trump MAGA team versus the resistance team. And as long as that continues, the real loser is going to be the American people and the FBI, because the FBI cannot be an effective organization if so few Americans at this point believe that it operates with integrity. In other words, the FBI is once again in need of reform. We are now delighted to have as our guest Molly Hemingway, the editor-in-chief of The Federalist and author of Rigged, a book looking at the 2020 election. Molly and I do not always agree on everything, but I find her to be a not only very intelligent, but a, an incisive reporter that doesn't like to hedge and just basically tells us and follows stories to their conclusion. And I think it's very valuable for the discourse. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Molly. Happy to be here. All right. Well, we just saw yesterday that Michael Sussman, a lawyer, former lawyer for the Clinton campaign, was acquitted by uh, a jury in Washington, D.C. But I wanted to sort of talk about, I mean, we can talk a little bit about that case, but I wanted to get your sense of what did we learn about the FBI in this trial? Well, it was really interesting, the theory of the prosecution, because I think it gets at this question. So the trial was about whether this DNC lawyer had made a false statement to the FBI. And it wasn't sufficient to judge whether he'd made a false statement. That actually did happen. And I think, you know, the evidence is clear on that. He claimed he wasn't working for a client when he was, in fact, representing two clients, Hillary Clinton campaign and this guy, Rodney Joffe, who had produced some 
information suggesting a nefarious link between Donald Trump and Russia. But it wasn't just that. It was about whether that lie was material to the FBI investigation into Trump. And it was kind of a hard case to make in that it's always hard to bring a false statement to the FBI charge because people are pretty sympathetic to making false statements to authorities. But in this case, I think it was particularly hard because the FBI almost certainly knew that they were being given information from, I mean, they knew, they knew this guy, Michael. This was partisan information. Yeah. They knew they were giving, they were getting partisan oppo research. And so the lie was just more like the cover story that they needed to be able to pursue their shared objective of going after the Trump campaign. Uh, So what did we learn about the FBI? We learned that they had every reason in the world to not take this seriously from multiple angles and that high-level people in the FBI thwarted the natural investigative course of action at other bureau at 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 other at from headquarters people thwarted the work of people at offices in different parts of the country who would who were looking into this information and it suggests that this was from the outset an attempt to go after someone rather than to actually get information. Yeah, I just want to strengthen that point because some of the details that come, came out in this, and, and we should say briefly, the claim was that a Russian bank, Alpha Bank, which I believe I have to check this, that I think Bill Clinton had maybe taken fees for to speak at at one point, kind of unusual server traffic with the Trump organization and a healthcare company that was connected to Betsy DeVos. And this information, according to the prosecutors, and I think there's a fair point here to say, well, this is what the prosecutors say, but this was not really adjudicated in, in, the, in the trial. I want to make that very clear, that even the researchers who were putting it together at, at Carnegie Mellon University and other places with Rodney Joffe, the tech executive, were dubious at various points saying, well, you know, people, if they see us, if they, if other experts look at our, our white paper, our, what we're putting together, then they will see through the holes of what we think. And even in the best case scenario, if we, if we show that there really is a meaningful connection here and not just spam or something else, then we will be giving away the tricks of our trade. And like, what are we doing here? It just seems like we have an agenda. This isn't good faith like research. It's opposition research. And there's nothing wrong with opposition research because in the, you know, for the most part, you, you, you do your opposition research. You try to get journalists to write about it. That's rough and tumble of regular politics. The thing that's different is that part of the plan here was to have opposition researchers, we all know who they are, Fusion GPS, help develop this stuff into a narrative and not only give it to the press, which again, fine, but then to give it to the FBI to create, if nothing else, to be able to say truthfully that there is an ongoing investigation. So when a journalist finds out there's an ongoing investigation, it's no longer the journalist who has to have the burden of proof to determine whether or not it's crap or not. It's just you can say, well, you know, my sources tell me there's an ongoing investigation. So that was the intention with Alpha Bank. Now, it didn't really have much of an effect, as we know, but they did have that 
success with the Steele dossier. And the Clinton people will constantly tell you, well, none of this stuff managed to leak out. We didn't know that there was going to be there was an ongoing investigation during the campaign. That's correct. However, everybody couldn't stop talking about it as soon as Trump won. And we were in that presidential transition. And that story, that narrative that was in large part cooked up by the Clinton campaign. Hold on, though. That's actually not accurate to say that it didn't come out during the campaign. Well, some of it did, but it didn't have. You're right. But there. But, you know, when Eric Lickbaugh wrote that story on on Halloween, he said they looked into it and there wasn't much there. So it sort of had it it blew up in their face a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, Hillary Clinton herself brought it up in debate. She tweeted about it. The entire like Russia narrative needed things to support it. And this was one of the things that was supposed to support it. But that whole narrative actually kind of got going early out of a desire to marginalize differences in foreign policy. And this idea that, you know, this whole idea that Trump was a Russian asset because he had a different foreign policy was, again, all fair and love and war and politics and all that. But that that narrative definitely affected the 2016 campaign and came very close to. You know, the FBI did not cover itself in glory against either campaign in 2016, but it could have had a it, it came close to having an effect. Well, OK, but I would argue, though, that the weirdness of this is that during during the during the presidential campaign, I think that Comey, the former FBI director, was sort of he couldn't not do something with the private server stuff that he had to announce in the middle of the, in the summer of 2016. He had to say he was doing something with it. I mean, I, I think he, he he didn't follow protocol. He should have, you know, technically the FBI, it's not for the FBI to sort of talk about cases they declined yeah, to prosecute. That's absolutely true. But I'm saying as a political matter, just I'm saying the way that Comey saw it is this was something that was going to come out one way or another. He had determined that Loretta Lynch, the attorney general, had was was you know he he believed was not in a position to and you know was was conflicted because of a meeting she had with bill clinton on the tarmac we all remember that and so he then kind of says listen this wasn't great but we but no reasonable prosecutor would so in the end the clinton campaign did not face any like legal problems what they had was a perception problem because it was reopened at the very end because of a separate case having to do with Anthony Weiner and they found these other emails. But it wasn't like, you know, Clinton people were were were, were getting subpoenaed and, you know, they, there weren't surveillance I, I warrants. The, the FBI's approach there of, or, you know, the entire department's approach there of, this is something we kind of need to get rid of and take care of. I actually right. don't have a huge objection to. It is kind of inappropriate to go after someone who's running for president. It, it, you come so close to affecting elections over things that, you know, I can totally understand them being like, this isn't like the end of the world. Let's just get rid of this. Yeah. And by the way, the I problem agree. is uh, yes, to yes. do that with Hillary Clinton and then go exactly like 180 degrees opposite on Trump and like to take part in something that they had every reason to believe. Right. But the, but the Clinton people will say they didn't they didn't do anything like that with regards to Trump. And while there were there was a Michael Isikoff story and the Clinton campaign said stuff and then there were, you know, but it didn't take hold in the way until it was after he wins. And that's when we see a series of what is clearly a pattern of behavior at this point. And I have to say, I was, I've, I've tried, we both have covered this story now for a long time, but we see it over and again, which is to say that 
the FBI kind of inexplicably, for example, they're ready to close the investigation into Mike Flynn. And then at the last minute, because of a, of a filing snafu, they keep it open again. And we see this with the Alpha Bank stuff. The FBI agents who are cyber experts look at it, the team from Chicago, they say, this is garbage, doesn't look like there's anything here. And then the word comes back, you don't have an option. Seventh floor is really hot on this story, on this investigation. So turn it into a counterintelligence investigation, but keep it open, even though they were saying there's nothing here. And what's worse is that even though Sussman brings it to the bureau and every, if everybody knows this, as now I think the, the def- his defense clearly said that everybody knew this guy was representing the Clinton campaign, they couldn't know the people investigating it couldn't know who the source was. They were, they were, they were, it was close hold. Only the seventh floor could know. He was known as a confidential informant. And when they opened it, they said it was a tip from the Justice Department and not from a Hillary campaign lawyer. He's a former Justice Department person, but still. So I think this gets to the whole problem with the trial that we just saw. Yeah. So, so Durham's whole approach is to say the FBI was duped by this lie from Mike. Yes. Sussman. Every single piece of evidence that came out in the trial. And it, this is, I think most of us kind of expected an acquittal, but it was still very good to have people testifying under oath and admitting things that reporters right. had you know, worked hard to uncover, such as that Hillary Clinton was the secret financer of the Steele dossier and the Russia hoax in general. But every piece of evidence that came out suggested that the FBI completely knew at the highest levels what was going on. So it was hard to argue that they were duped or that this lie made a difference when clearly they were hot to trot on this no matter what evidence came up. Well, and that's the problem is that there was, I think things, I think that we were sort of, it was 2016 was somewhat normal, although there were abnormalities such as the press conference we just talked about with Hillary Clinton's private server, but journalists were given the Steele dossier oppo and most of them just, didn't touch it. They didn't, they couldn't confirm it. They didn't know what to do with it. And so in some ways you could say the system works. Trump gets elected and everybody goes into resistance mode, including the leadership of the FBI and the leadership of the FBI then make a series of decisions to keep cases open. And then mysteriously, we find all of these very detailed stories in the New York times and other places saying there's an ongoing investigation. It just happens to break right before Trump's actual inauguration. And this then is the defining narrative of the first two and a half years of his presidency. And that is a dirty political trick that, by the way, is the same kind of norm violation of people who claim, and I think entirely unconvincingly, that the votes were rigged, you know, that that the voting machines were flawed, that there were mules that were delivering, you know, ballots for Biden and all the stuff that hasn't really been proven and courts haven't taken seriously. But if the argument is you are attacking the integrity of an election, you are disrespecting the peaceful transfer of power. That is exactly what I would say the Clinton campaign and the FBI basically did after she lost. In fact, it was a much more competent version of what happened. And yeah, it was a much more competent version of rejection of the election than what happened in 2020. You might remember that there were attempts to brief 
the electors before they gathered to vote or before they voted. Um, yeah, the intelligence in, briefing. I in got December. into that in my last monologue. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And then they also tried, you know, there was a lot of chatter, which I'm sure you heard as well in D.C. in January that was this stuff is so big and so legitimate, it might prevent the inauguration. The leaks that happened beginning in the first week of January, well, you know, even leading up to this, but they become much more intense and powerful an attempt to, you know, to convince people that this completely insane conspiracy theory is, has much more substantiation than it does. And that comes from the highest powers in our intelligence agencies. Yes. Well, OK, so I want to push back a little bit. I, there, there were some things that I think were established not necessarily in the Mueller investigation, but we could, I mean, I guess some of it is, you know, the fact that he was seeking to purchase a Trump Tower and then, you know, during the campaign was would have been information that I think it, you could fairly look at and say, well, that might be some kind of financial leverage if he doesn't fully divest, you know, from his company. There are things that you can sort of point to. I, I mean, I, I, I think that I think it's a little overstated sometimes when he does the Russia, if you're listening, the press would love you. I think that's a sort of typical Trump luster. But, you know, you can point to some stuff and certainly Paul Manafort, which I wrote about at the time and then Trump fired in August of 2016, you know, had a history of working with this Konstantin Kalimnik. There are elements of this story that were you could you could I think if you want to sort of steel man it were fair things that would concern somebody looking at it from a counterintelligence perspective. The problem is that that became a political football, but more importantly, the Clintons tried to politicize that process, thus muddying the water. So what I never understood Hold is- on. If, I just want to say, yeah, you're you're right. You know, these things, the, the Trump family was involved in international business. There's so much there that you could look at. It's sure. legitimate to look into all of these ties. It's also true that the Clintons were running the Clinton Foundation where they were getting paid like huge sums of cash or they were, you know, the foundation was getting huge sums of cash. Yeah, 100 percent. Or government. That's also so true. You could have just as easily, you know, launched that or during, you know, the Biden campaign. Obviously, the Biden family business gets involved with all sorts of shady characters all over the globe. You could. Well, that's justify. the double standard. You, you, you're, you nailed it, Molly. That's the, the double standard is that when similar questions are raised about the Biden family. It's Russian disinformation and it's censored from social media when 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 concocted allegations are retailed after Trump wins through the Steele dossier. It's you can't avoid it. It's 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 blasted all over the place. Members of Congress, you know, begin to read the allegations to the public record as if they're true. We are talking about Adam Schiff. Sheldon Whitehouse at one point says, I think the Steele dossier is 100 percent right and, and Mueller has to follow it down. I mean, you could go through Jane Mayer of The New Yorker, all these elite journalists and very senior people with, you know, reputations all sort of, you know, made it seem like this was a serious thing. When now what we've learned through the inspector general of the Justice Department, but more importantly, from Durham's investigation in this prosecution is that this was totally a political hit job. It was a narrative that was concocted by opposition researchers and lawyers who were doing what they could to basically spin a narrative to the press and the FBI. I think that's. But I, that, so I want to get back to what well, we were. This gets to the well, FBI really quickly. I just yeah. also point out yeah. this makes the Mueller probe itself look suspect 
suspect. It looks more like the Mueller probe was the cover-up operation for all of this rather than an actual attempt to uncover what was going on. You know, to never look into the dossier, the sourcing of the dossier, to never like contemplate what was obvious to people with far less knowledge than Mueller's team had, that this looked like a like a disinformation hoax orchestrated by the Clinton campaign, to never look into any of that at all whatsoever, and instead like spend years. Well, and also, by the way, there were plenty of things the Mueller report gave us, like efforts of Michael Flynn to find, you know, the deleted emails, which had nothing to do with the thing he was originally supposed to be investigating. Like, well, okay, you found out that the Republicans really wanted to find the deleted emails. But what does that tell you about whether there was a conspiracy between Russia and the Trump campaign? Nothing. It was they, 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 you know what I'm saying? You could go through the list of stuff they want. Oh, Roger Stone really wanted to know what was in the WikiLeaks stuff after the WikiLeaks had announced they had Clinton emails. Well, who wouldn't if you were, you know, a, a political operative? Anyway, so point taken. I want to just in the final minutes we have here, though, talk about what it means and put this into like a little bit of context because this is not just this trial, which is now put on record, all of these steps in this one particular investigation about Alpha Bank, it's the Steele dossier. It's the FISA abuse that was uncovered beyond anything to do with the Trump investigation in Michael Horowitz's subsequent stuff. It's the Larry Nasser investigation. It's the Gretchen Whitmer fake kidnapping. It's a series of things. This is an institution that needs democratic political legitimacy, small d democratic. The people, it has to have a kind of political legitimacy. They always, Comey talks about it, all these senior FBI people have talked about this. And they've squandered it. I mean, what is going on with the FBI and what do we do about it? Should we get rid of the FBI? Do you want to reform it? What do you do? So this is one of the reasons why I think this victory, so to speak, yesterday for for people who oppose, or I don't know, this victory yesterday seems a bit pyrrhic. That there was or, this you mean for like Joe Scarborough, yeah, I mean, the people screaming that Merrick Garland needs to shut it down. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Um, if you want to have the FBI continue, you have to hold it accountable when it participates in horrible things like this. Or if you want the regime in general to have legitimacy, you have to pretend at least that there's one uniform standard of justice, and that if you do something like this, that it's such a political scandal that there has to be accountability. And so to not have much accountability yet, I mean, there's been some like the 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 lawyer who lied to the FISA court. He there's no accountability. He hasn't even lost his his. He hasn't even just been disbarred. Yeah, I mean, he he definitely we have we have knowledge that he lied, but then he didn't have much, much punishment for it. I will be curious to see what happens with Igor Danchenko, the primary source of the primary author of the he, steel. He strikes me as a patsy. Yes. I'm, I'm just pointing out, it's not that there's no accountability. It's just so small and so limited for the scope of the scandal. It makes people throughout the country not trust in any way, not just the FBI and Department of Justice and other intelligence agencies and other um, bureaucracies, but also it, it makes them not trust any politician because no politician really is doing what it takes to hold them accountable. Nobody's even proposing you know, a church commission style overhaul. When we found out that the FBI was spying on American citizens on the left, you know, there were major actions taken when they got involved in like the ab scam, you know, when they were 
setting up congressmen or whatnot. There were rules put in place about how you handle stuff like political. Oh, they were, political. I think they were in the right on some of that, but okay. <laughs> well, it's just kind of there, there, there was a time when people held them somewhat accountable or you'd have a commission put together. Well, and now, it's interesting that you said, where is the church commission? Because for years, I mean, if you just take, you know, before we were around the same age, Molly, but I'm just saying, you know, that was what the left used to always say was, when are we going to have another church commission? And they wanted it having to do with FBI and trapping of entrapment of Muslim Americans during a lot of the, 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 the war on terror and anti-war war groups and things like that. And now it's the right that wants accountability for an institution. If you just look at the history of the FBI, that almost always abuses its power. That so almost always like needs reform and has to have these cycles of reform in order to continue to have that legitimacy. And it's the Democrats who are stopping it. It's fascinating to see that. But yeah, the, the left used to be naturally skeptical. And I think legitimately so of some of these institutions, the right was reflexively supportive of them. It has switched, but losing the right is actually a much more significant issue. I think, you know, the left has had some flirtation with rejection of authority for some long period of time. The right kind of held, they could be counted on to keep the institutions going. And now you're seeing the right start to resort to actions that you might have previously associated with the left, you know, whether that's political violence or other things. And that's not good for the country. I mean, it's not good if the if if you lose the right, you kind of start stop having it's a threat to the republic to not have broad support of institutions. But that's because the institutions themselves are rotten to the core. And so they shouldn't people shouldn't trust these institutions. They naturally see that they're being used as political vehicles. That's why the left supports them now. They see that there are these two standards of justice and they support that they shouldn't. There's no danger, I think, of these agencies being turned against the left just because they're so filled with sort of fellow partisans, but it's not good for the country at all. Well, with that, Molly, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on our on the re-education. I know I've done this is the second Russiagate related episode, everybody, but I think it's very important that we get some of these facts out, especially with a lot of the, well, I should say unwarranted sense of vindication from some folks after the Sussman trial. Thank you so much, Molly. And please rate and review the re-education. Give us five stars. Write very nice things. It really matters to us right now as we're starting to get this podcast going. Thanks again, Molly. And I hope to have you back. Thank you. This has been The Re-Education with Eli Lake, a nebulous production. Please find us wherever you find your podcast. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. It helps other people find the show and makes us feel really good about what we're doing.